0: What do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is?
1: For me, it's recognizing when it's time to leave a thought because the negativity can really start to take hold and it's okay. You're human. It's a normal feeling for that to happen, but to recognize, okay, this is the limit that I'm going to allow myself and I'm going to allow myself to feel this. But once I feel it, I'm going to start trying to move on from that.
0: Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Erin Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast. ADHD for smart ass women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain Is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So, without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 215 of ADHD for Smart Ass Women. I hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuga.com. You know, my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. And that is exactly why I am delighted to invite Amanda Feliciano. Did I pronounce your name right, Amanda? Yes, that's correct. Okay, to join us. But before that, I want to give you a little backstory. So for our 200th episode of this podcast back in, I think it was November, I interviewed my family, which was so much fun once we got past all the tech issues. And I can't remember what led to this, probably something about imposter complex. But at the end of the podcast, I said that I would love to interview someone who's been listening for a while and thinks, Our guests are so accomplished and so successful, and I'm not that, but I would love to come on the podcast. I personally know, having interviewed hundreds of ADHD women at this point, that regardless of how much we've done in our life... You know, we still think we haven't done anything. So I challenge our listeners to raise their hand because every listener resonates differently with every guest. And we can learn so much from each other, regardless of our age or where we happen to be in life. So that's when Amanda reached out to me. And oh, my God, Amanda, I forgot to ask you. So am I allowed to read um, your email? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Okay, so that's when Amanda reached out to me and wrote this. My name is Amanda Feliciano. I am 32 years old. She's a baby and was (laughs) recently diagnosed with ADHD in July of this year. The moment I left my therapy session, I immediately went on Spotify to see what ADHD podcasts were out there, and you were at the top of the list. I listened, I laughed, I cried, and became totally immersed in all of your episodes. But most of all, I was seen for the very first time. I was able to listen to you and your guest stories and relate in ways I never could with others. For months now, I've been dreaming about being a guest on your podcast, but being the true ADHDer that I am, I never felt like I was quite qualified to be an interviewee. Q, the imposter syndrome. I had only just learned about my diagnoses. I'm only at the very early stages of building the life and career that I want, and what could I possibly contribute? But when I listened to your 200th episode, which I loved, and congratulations, and at the end when you said to get out of your comfort zone and email you, I immediately listened. Because you know what? We are all on different life paths and journeys. My story of life with ADHD is valid and credible, regardless of how acclaimed I am, how long I've known about my diagnoses, or any other reason that could hold me back. Thank you so much for all you do. I hope to hear back from you and be a potential interviewee on your podcast. So, wasn't that the best thing you've ever heard? Yeah, I thought so. So let me formally introduce Amanda Feliciano. Amanda is a customer service representative by day and the co-founder and president of Full Circle Theater Collective by night. With her ADHD best friend, Amanda, you're so lucky to have an ADHD best friend, with her ADHD best friend, Wes Laga, she founded the theater company in 2020 while they were organizing Zoom play readings with their friends. In late 2021, they put their first show up as a theater company and brought on their other ADHD bestie, Nicole Boscarino. In 2022, they successfully ran their very first fundraiser and are now setting their sights on projects for 2023. When Amanda is not hypertexting Wes and Nicole about their theater company, she can be found screaming her lungs out at a 90s cover band concert, spending time with her boyfriend Juan and hosting Broadway karaoke nights in her living room for friends. Welcome, Amanda. And did I get all of that right?
1: Yes, you did.
0: (laughs) I love your story and I love that You got out of your comfort zone and you did what you really wanted to do. And it's interesting how it almost always works out, doesn't it?
1: Uh, Yeah, it it definitely does. When I had sent it, I was like, all right, let's see how it goes. I may not hear anything. And then I think I was in the middle of my lunch break and I was like, oh, my God, I got a text from Tracy. So I was very excited.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm more excited to have you here. And so before we talk about the theater company and all the stuff that you're doing, I would love to talk about your ADHD diagnoses first, if that's okay. Sure. Can you tell us what the circumstances were around your diagnoses? Like what happened?
1: So actually, it kind of started when I was 10 years old. I was tested back then, but they ended up telling my parents, you know, it seems like she does have some traits, but we think it's more immaturity that's making her daydream and not pay attention and all that kind of stuff. And then fast forward two decades later, and I still have that tendency, that immaturity, that daydreamy, flighty type of personality. But I also have a generalized anxiety and I started noticing that um, when I was getting my period, I was becoming more anxious and it started leading to like depression and ruminating thoughts. And uh, I went to my gynecologist and, and started telling her all this, which is how PMDD came onto my radar and that was kind of the beginning of it all. Um she gave me birth control to go on to kind of regulate my hormones and that seemed to work. Um and I was with a therapist at that time and I was telling him, you know, this is the medication that she put me on and it's just going to regulate my hormones a bit and stuff like that. Uh to which he was like, "All right. I think now may be a good time because ADHD had been brought up a few times in our sessions and he figured now ADHD would really be the time to kind of start bringing it into our therapy sessions. And that's how I ended up getting diagnosed.
0: So how old were you by then?
1: Um, I had just turned 32. So this oh, was, okay. uh okay. Yeah. Okay. So wait a second. So
0: you're 10 years old. You're mm-hmm. kind of bouncing off the walls or, or are you bouncing off the walls? I think you said you were more kind of daydreamy, not paying attention. Which one?
1: Yeah. I, I was more daydreamy, not paying attention, but that was at school and other circumstances. I was bouncing off the walls and everything like that. Okay.
0: So you're 10 years old, you know, your parents are seeing signs of what, were they thinking she might have ADHD or they didn't know what it was?
1: I don't think they knew what it was. I think it was a teacher that brought that to their attention. Okay.
0: So you go to um, get tested and the doctors tell you, no, it's not ADHD. She's just immature, which which <laughs> is so insane, right? Because we know that the ADHD brain can be, I think it's up to six years behind in development. So mm-hmm. that would kind of make sense, right? That maybe right. You, you were a little immature. Um, But they said, no, it's not ADHD. And then are you saying that the anxiety started to happen around puberty?
1: It started to happen. So I I think I always had uh, anxiety. It started to peak uh, in my late teens. And it just kind of went overboard when I was hitting my 30s. And so that was kind of the start of me trying to figure out, you know, what I can do to regulate it because I, I felt I had only felt like myself maybe once a week during the month, and that was it. So I wanted to start exploring why that was starting to happen for me.
0: Okay. So the PMDD was that diagnosed at puberty or was that also diagnosed in your 30s?
1: No, that was also diagnosed in my 30s. Wow.
0: Okay. So we do know that there's a correlation between PMDD um, and premenstrual. What is it? Premenstrual something dysphoria.
1: Yeah. I can't remember the exact. I'm going to look it up.
0: It is um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Can you describe what that is? Is it just really heavy periods? Is there a lot of pain during um, certain times of the month?
1: So for me it wasn't so much experiencing menstrual cramps or anything like that that would happen for me it was um my anxiety would height would heighten tenfold okay. and i would be very short with people um the negative self talk started to come into play more i it was very hard for me to um kind of like find Positives throughout my day um, that's right. I completely so,
0: forgot about the emotion component, which is probably the biggest component of p m d d
1: right yeah, that hit me very hard, <laughs> and I've experienced bouts of anxiety and depression before, but it had never been to the severity level like i I wasn't having thoughts of uh, any suicidal thoughts or anything like that but it was more just like i couldn't find the purpose in in anything really and so i was i was starting a lot of arguments with my boyfriend i was like becoming later and later to my job because i was just like having a very hard time getting up and getting going so you
0: were diagnosed with PMDD in your early thirties, but as a teenager, you know, once you you know reached puberty, did mm-hmm. you notice that you were starting to get these symptoms? Um, but they showed up as anxiety.
1: They they probably did. I can't think of uh, specific moments in my teen years where um, it had hit me most, but i I want to say it it probably like started to to become noticeable to me in college. And like it it would happen there too. Like I I wouldn't go to classes and I would um I would have a lot more anxiety. And I thought it was just, you know, certain things that were happening at the time. You know, I was going through a breakup in college and, you know, I I was a theater major, so I was performing day and night. And so I thought maybe it was exhaustion. I thought it was all these different factors. And I never thought at that age to kind of look internally and be like, all right, maybe there's something else here. Mm.
0: Um, But what we do know is that um, PMDD is also one of the comorbidities of ADHD. So we see it a lot more in ADHD women. So when exactly were you diagnosed with anxiety?
1: Um, That came a year before my ADHD diagnosis. I had experienced some trauma within my family, and um, from that, my anxiety heightened. Um, That's when I had started seeing my therapist. And that's when the diagnosis came into play as well.
0: So you lived through three decades just sort of managing, not really knowing what exactly was going on with you. Not always feeling like yourself. In fact, it sounds like you often did not feel like yourself.
1: Yeah, I I always felt a little different. Um, and I wasn't exactly sure where to put my finger on it. But I would see these differences, and I was always kind of a a late bloomer um, when it came to certain uh, things that like my friends were doing that I wasn't doing yet. So it it just put me at a different stance uh, than everyone else. And while I was able to make connections and have true friendships and, and relationships, there was always something that, that just made me feel slightly off.
0: (laughs) I guess.
1: Okay. And you just attributed that to,
0: I don't know, I guess I would think, okay, you're a theater major, right? And so, you know, the reason you're really good at that is, you know, we tend to be more dramatic. And (laughs) you probably have friends that are, you know, a little bit similar to your personality. And so you just thought, oh, it's just the way I am
1: yeah, I definitely knew that I was dramatic, um especially as a teenager. <laughs> and um, you know, i I was like, well, I guess that's just my personality. I'm just this like hyperactive person that that loves to sing and dance. And theater is where I did kind of find my home just because it it was the first thing I ever recognized. That I was good at, you know, I wasn't necessarily good in school. You know, I went to an elementary school, I went to a Catholic elementary school, and I was new around the third grade. um, And I was, I've always been terrible at math. And so I, um, we had what was called a trailer and a woman would come and it was maybe like five or six of us and we would go to the trailer and she would kind of teach us math in a different way to make it a little more enjoyable, a little more fun, which was great to have that. But, um, at the same time, it still made me stand out, you know, um, she would come at the start of when everyone was going to do math and then we would have to be brought out to the trailer. So all the kids were watching us get up and, and leave. And it like, it definitely took a toll. I I definitely went a long time thinking like, I guess I'm not smart. Um, But I think it, it was around 19 years old where I did kind of recognize like, Oh, I'm intelligent. Like I have a different type of intelligence, and that's okay. But, but yeah, I um, I was able to find what I was good at uh, from an early age. That I am very grateful for.
0: Isn't it crazy too that because I think a lot of kids feel this way? If you're not good at math and science, that means you're not smart, and it doesn't matter that you're really good at all the other subjects.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that, it, you know, it goes to, to show what school's kind of preference over other things. And, and that's the disappointing part is that, well, sure, they, they give you school plays and a choir and stuff like that. They don't really give you solid opportunities to be like, well, this is where you shine. Yeah. And it's always either academic or sports related And so it was hard to find my place because I was terrible at sports. So (laughs) I knew that wasn't going to be it for me.
0: So once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of that hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize that, oh my gosh, of course that was ADHD.
1: I am terrible with short-term memory I can tell you what you and I were wearing last April and what the weather was like and everything like that. But if you ask me to repeat something back to you that you just said, I will not be able to remember that. I think that was one of the, the biggest things. And and that that for me was like, I felt bad because I would I tend to just drift off sometimes. And when people are are talking, I just, I end up being like, oh crap, what are we even talking about? Where is this going? <laughs> that to me, I think has been my biggest issue. And especially in my mid later 20s. I became uh, an acting teacher for an acting school and that was like a part-time thing that I did and these kids would be talking to me and they would just go on and on and I would doze off and I'd be like, wait, I'm sorry, can you re- you repeat the last thing you said? Because I didn't want to admit that I wasn't paying attention to them. So I tried to like see if I could string it together
0: Well, and the problem with that, right, is we're like, we can string it together. And so we keep going, thinking that if they keep talking, we're going to be able to string it together. And then we're so far afield. And then it's really embarrassing, right, to say, oh, my gosh, I have no idea what you just spent five minutes talking about.
1: Exactly. And I was like, that especially, like, if I have especially like younger kids and I'm supposed to be the leader of the group for them. I'm like, oh, I really need to focus and buckle down. But, um, cause I also, I don't want them to think that I'm not caring or I'm not paying attention to them. It's just like my, you need to tell me things sweet and short and I'll be able to answer right away. But, after you know and meanwhile i can go on and on and on <laughs> i know
0: it's the dichotomy isn't it you know i was just telling my um, we just started a, a new cohort of your adhd brain is okay and i was just telling my women that one of the most important things that we can learn how to do for our brain and we can instruct other people to do it but we need to do it for other people as well is when we have you know a question so let's say you're writing an email or you're even starting out explaining you know you need something from someone the best thing you can do is give me one short sentence at the very beginning of what it is that you want right and then follow up with all of the details because we will get lost if you just, and, and I mean, even neurotypicals will. I mean, this is better for everyone, but especially for our brains that can drift when we're bored and we're not able, we make really good connections. But when it's the boring and he said and she said, and blah, like, I'm like, I don't know who said he said what said, you know, it's so, right. It's terrible. So if you can give me, you know, I need you to go to the store and pick up bread instead of, and do that at the very top. And then you can tell me the details of what so-and-so said and why you need the bread and blah, blah, blah. And then I have no problem at all, you know, staying in the conversation.
1: Right. Exactly. And I, I think that I didn't have that figured out yet. Uh, especially when I was teaching the kids. And now I am able to kind of be like, okay, Tell me the big picture first and then explain everything else around it.
0: So, Amanda, what has changed since you were diagnosed?
1: I think I'm a little bit kinder to myself where I used to get really frustrated and annoyed at like, why did I do it this way? Or why did that come out of my mouth? I'm a little more forgiving And I also try to keep in my head that that person has probably already forgotten whatever ridiculous thing I just said. And (laughs) I can, and it's just me that's playing it over and over. But I think it's moments like that where I can just be like, you know what, this is a part of who you are. And people are either going to jive with it or they're not. And the people that aren't going to, then they're not the people for you. And I I think that I've been very lucky uh with the the people that I have in my life and their understanding. And I mean, my two best friends that I run full circle with also have ADHD. So we're able to kind of pick up where the other one gets lost, which is extremely nice to have, especially in in friends and in in business partners.
0: So what are the gifts that you see that you've been bestowed by your ADHD?
1: I think I am able to be a little more empathetic. I it's funny because I always kind of attribute that to acting and being able to like jump in another person's shoes and you know, that way. But I think it's a combination because I think ADHD is what gave me my interest in acting and in theater because I already had that empathy and I just found a place where it was acceptable for me to apply it.
0: So when you say empathy, what are, what are you talking about specifically?
1: I am a very emotional person it is easy for me to relate and empathize and forgive people and what they they do say what they think how they feel and it's made it easier for me to kind of see that while you know, my neurodivergencies may be different from other people's or from people that don't have a neurodivergency that we can all kind of come together on some type of ground level to understand one another, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. So I'm curious, how does empathy help you in being a better actor?
1: It's helped me by being able to take away myself because i may not be able to i may not be able to have the same experiences of of a character that i'm playing or i need to portray but i can kind of create a backstory as to why a person would do something that i necessarily wouldn't do and it, it helps me create a character a little more in depth.
0: So are you saying that you can create this character despite the fact that you may not have experienced what that character experienced, but your empathy allows you to relate to
1: what they've experienced even though you haven't? Yes. And I mean, that—that that is a part of um, what my my training with with acting has been able to help me with is even if you don't have the same experience or you don't react the same way there's at least one thing in your life that you can kind of be like oh well i experienced grief in this way and then you can understand where that character's grief is coming from if that's you know the emotion mm. that they're feeling
0: and so you apply the grief that you know to their experience to make it more believable. Yes. Okay. I, I never really actually thought about that and, and ADHD. So I think that's interesting. So I would love to know what made you start your theater company?
1: Um it was kind of a, a combination of things. I always wanted to to start one and I never really had the um I guess the the time, and I I was also younger, like sometimes I do wish I was like, you know, I started thinking about this in my 20s. I wish I would have done it then. But I I think I needed a little more experience and I needed the right people in my life, not just to help me uh, put together this theater company, but to also have the support in the background, which I do now have. And um, so it started in 2020 when the world had kind of shut down and we were all bored and we couldn't visit each other. And uh, my friend Wes and I were like, well, I see a lot of theater companies are doing online Zoom readings. And we are like, why don't we get our, our friends to do it with us? And so it kind of just started as a thing that was fun and passed the time on a Friday night when we couldn't go out. And then it became a monthly thing where we did at least one a month. And then Wes and I started toying with the idea of, you know, why don't we create this? And so we did. We Actually, the first show that we put on in 2021 We had a Zoom reading for, which was really cool, because he ended up getting in touch with the playwright, and we recorded it for him, and he had sent it to the cast and everything like that. It was called It's a Disaster, and it was a movie, so he sent it to, and I think, um, David Cross, Julia Stiles, and America Ferrera were in it, and I'm a huge Julia Stiles and America Ferrera fan. And he had emailed Wes saying, "Like, oh, I passed your recording along to them," and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, I don't know if they ever had the opportunity to watch it or if they they wanted to. But if they got bored enough during 2020, I like to think that America Ferrera and Julia Stiles watched me perform in a Zoom reading. And so we we finally brought it to a stage in 2021, and that came with its own stresses because there were new regulations for how to go about putting on a performance because 2020 was still in full swing. Uh, 2020. COVID was still in full swing. And so, yeah, it was a very exhausting time. Which is how we ended up being like. I think we need a third person, like, <laughs> and Nicole, who's who's the other uh, partner with us. Um, she was also in the the show, and we brought her on, and yeah, we've we've had a pretty good success. We had um a cabaret uh, fundraiser go up in November, and actually Tracy. <laughs> I do need to tell you this cuz I just was like, oh wow, if this doesn't hold true to my uh to my ADHD. But so I was Grace had sent me the calendar uh of of availability and I saw November 18th, but I saw it too late and that was the day of the cabaret and I was like, oh, that would be perfect. I took the day off from work. I'll be able to to do an interview with Tracy. And then at night, I'll be able to do the fundraiser. And um, by the time I had answered Grace. It was too late and that that day had already been taken up. And I am so grateful that it did because I still was making the night before centerpieces. One of them broke, so I needed to go back to Staples the next day. Then I needed to pick up lollipops that my mom had made um, for the show and tie 100 of them, get myself ready. And I was like, how I thought I could have (laughs) squeezed an interview in that day was beyond me. So I was very grateful that it had been taken.
0: Wonderful. (laughs) So so you had this idea that I want to start a theater company, and now Mm -hmm. you have a theater company. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, is it everything that you thought it would be? I'd love to know. And I'm asking a bunch of questions, which I shouldn't be doing, but I will. (laughs) what are the things that it's exactly what you expected? And what are the things that, oh my gosh, I had no idea about this.
1: In terms of like being able to do this with my friends and um, being able to choose the shows that we want to do, as long as it's in our budget and stuff like that, that has all been awesome. The thing that, is complicated for the three of us is uh we are all artists none of us are uh business people (laughs) so (laughs) when it comes to that um which we are trying to start now forming uh, a board so that way we can have a little more help and we're not running you know the entire thing but in terms of you know um legal advice and, and what we need to sign and what we don't need to sign and everything like that. That has been, I think the hardest part where we're all like, and like, there was a point where we kept on putting it off and putting it off because the three of us have ADHD and none of us know how to do it. And it's overwhelming us that we don't know how to do it. So, but now we're, we're starting to get our together a little bit more. (laughs) And, um, you know, that it's hopefully going to to sort itself out. And I think we also need to be a little forgiving in our learning process of how we need to go about this.
0: So um, what are the goals? It sounds like you need a neurotypical in there, right? Some, yes. Someone who that's the, how their brain works to kind of provide a little bit more structure maybe. Yes, um, Absolutely. Which, you know, we balk about all the time, but we need it more than anybody. So I'm curious, what are your goals for the theater company going forward?
1: Our goals going forward, we would like to do at least two shows a year on top of our our uh, cabaret fundraiser was such a success. I would like to try to make that a, a more annual type thing. We want to include inclusivity for all people regardless of age sex gender and we just we want to be able to put performances on that you may not see i'd love to to have new playwrights come on and and hear stories from from people that you don't always hear stories from i think that it's incredibly important and it's so crucial in this day and age to be able to absorb as much as you can and and to show people like we are all human and we need to stand by one another. Kindness? (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we need more of that. And I'm curious um, if getting out of your comfort zone and deciding that, okay. I'm going to start this theater company. If that has allowed you to be more comfortable in your like everyday job, meaning that, you know, people are always like, well, I want to live my purpose and they think they have to quit, you know, their job. And my comment is always do not throw the baby out with the bathwater until you are absolutely ready to do that. Right. And so sometimes what your passion is, what your purpose is, it doesn't have to be your regular work. It, you know, it can be um, something like what it is that you're doing. It can be a side gig for you know a period of time until it's ready to not be. And so, I'm curious if if that's kind of you know how you have structured it. So the fact that you've got this theater company makes um, your everyday work uh, that much better, easier, whatever. Or do you love what you do from a career standpoint as much?
1: It's funny that you say that because it's, it's something that I definitely did struggle with in the beginning of like, like I would love to eventually make this a career change for myself. It's made me more patient in the job that I have now because I do have something to go home and look forward to when, you know, we have a, a Zoom meeting or or we're going to a theater location to look at it or something along that nature. Um, But I don't love what I do on the day-to-day. I actually, on top of everything, I am also studying for uh, the Praxis, which is um, like an SAT to become a, a teacher, Uh, There have been a few opportunities where uh, theater teacher positions have opened, and um, it's something that I have toyed with over the past few years, and it was always kind of other people telling me, like, oh, you should go out for it, rather than me deciding. And this last time, I had been able to make the choice for myself.
0: And so the praxis is, like you said, it's some sort of standardized test that you have to take in order to become a theater teacher?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: So I want to know how you feel right now. You got out of your comfort zone. You reached out and volunteered to do something that was probably a little scary. I'd love to know. Are you proud of yourself? Like, what are you thinking?
1: I am. Um, This is the first podcast I've ever... Done or recorded or anything like that and i'm I'm very grateful to you for allowing me to to give me the space to open up and talk about my life for a bit but yeah i uh I think that I'm going to walk away feeling good and confident about myself, and it also has helped to just kind of say. My life story and and to kind of normalize it a little bit more
0: Okay, so That sounds brilliant amanda and I want to make sure that you remember this feeling And I want you to reach for it whenever there's something that you really really want to do for you So find that feeling get out of your head, right? Which was it gives us all those reasons why we shouldn't do something and we shouldn't get into action And I think a lot of us think oh It needs to be a big action, but it can be a little itty bitty action, too. I mean, you I'm sure could have thought of all the reasons you shouldn't, but you just shut it down and you said, "Nope, I'm just going to email her right now. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, (laughs) that was probably I'm the most impulsive second thinker I know. And uh, that was one time where I was just like, all right, let's act completely on impulse. Let the ADHD happen for you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that for many of us, our impulsivity is ultimately maybe not responsible for our success, but a big part of our success because we will just kind of jump at the chance and then think about it later. But then there are other times, right, where we're thinking, 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 and then we never get around to the action. And so I just always think it's so important that when we do those things that make us uncomfortable... That we really feel into it once we've done them and we, we feel that, you know, oh my gosh, I'm really proud of myself for doing that, that dopamine, right? Because then we can teach ourselves how to spike our own dopamine whenever we're feeling, you know, blah or fearful or just plain negative. So I think you're, this is such a good example and I'm, I'm really, really happy that you reached out. And as I'm sitting here chattering away, I realized that, did I ask you what has changed since you were diagnosed? Um, if I don't you think do, so. I've
1: completely forgotten. <laughs> um, I think I said I am a lot less down on myself. And I try to be a little more forgiving of what I do say, think, feel. And also not just try to be forgiving of it, but try to be a little more mindful as to why I'm thinking that way or why I'm feeling that way. Do
0: you have this sense now, whereas before the little voice would just chatter away in the head, oh my God, you're so stupid. Why did you say that? You know, why did you do that? You're acting like a spaz, whatever, like that Our little, you know, that little brain can just chatter away. And now it's almost like you're looking down on you And you're kind of the parent of you and protective of you. And so instead of that chattering, it will be other words like, oh, I don't know. You know, your brain says, oh, that wasn't the best thing to say. And your parent voice responds with, yeah, but the reason you said it was X, Y, and Z, and this can happen to anyone, and it's not a big deal. And nobody even cares because they're all worried about themselves. Like, is that what has happened? What has changed?
1: Yeah, I I think so. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, the negative talk will still every once in a while find its way in. But I think I'm a little more conscientious of stopping it earlier than letting it sit there and ruminate and make myself miserable for the entire day.
0: Wonderful. We learn, right, that that, I don't know, we think initially that the brain is just, it goes off on its own and we have no control over it. And I think what really happens with the diagnosis is you suddenly realize just because you think it doesn't mean it's true.
1: Right. Like actually when I had gotten the diagnosis, it felt more of a relief than a hindrance for me because then it was like, okay, this is what I have. And Now I just need to learn how to control something that I have felt has controlled me for such a long time.
0: Ah, okay. I love that. And so as part of that, focusing less on your weaknesses and spending more time, you know, in your strengths.
1: Yeah, it also opened me up to realizing like, even with your weaknesses, it's just because you're new to it. So it's helped me give praise to my strengths, but it's also tried to help me work on my weaknesses.
0: Do you mean um, that you're more apt to think of maybe a workaround, a different way to approach that weakness that you want to get done, you know, for you?
1: Yes. Yeah. That's, yes.
0: (laughs) Okay. So what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? Uh,
1: um, For me, I think it's recognizing when it's time to leave a thought because the negativity can really start to to take hold and it's okay you're human it's a normal feeling for that to happen but to recognize okay this is the limit that I'm going to allow myself and I'm going to allow myself to feel this but once I feel it I'm going to start trying to move on from that
0: wow that is such a skill because <laughs> we hyperfocus, right? So we can hyperfocus on the good stuff, which is awesome. But we can also hyperfocus on the bad stuff, which isn't so good.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Has your diagnosis helped you with your anxiety?
1: I think it has because I I think my anxiety and my ADHD have kind of gone hand in hand over the years, mm-hmm. and so uh, ruminating thoughts are. Something that that happens to me a lot, and so I'm able to be aware a bit more, and I'm able to catch when I'm um, I'm able to catch it quicker.
0: Do you think your anxiety is because of your ADHD, or do you think that it's comorbid, meaning you have both of them?
1: I do think that it's comorbid. Um, I think that. It kind of meshes together because I like just from my experiences of like wanting so badly to act, but like my anxiety, it's like I'm there was always a constant tug of war in myself. Um, So I definitely think it's a, a comorbidity.
0: But is that a lot better now that you've been diagnosed? Where yes. you feel like you can act now, so there's still a little bit of anxiety, but you'll do it,
1: yes, um, and it's it's funny because with auditioning, with acting, I always felt that way, but I didn't realize, I guess like that that it kind of goes hand in hand. and so now I kind of think of everything as an audition where I'm like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not going to do it because I don't think I'm going to be the best one there and this and that. And then canceling that negative thought to be like, yeah, but what if they really like me? And what if I put myself out there and like, I'm already giving myself the answer before I even find out the truth. And so it's funny how I was able to do that for acting, but I wasn't able to do that for other parts of my life. So now I'm trying to include that into my whole uh, entity rather than just my my artistic side.
0: Has medication worked for you or have you tried it?
1: I have not tried any medication. It's funny because the birth control is really the only thing I take. And I really do think that it's helped regulate some of my hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. But that's really all that that um, I use. Okay. So, Amanda, where can people find you if they want to know more
0: about you and what you do?
1: So, uh, my personal Instagram handle is Amanda underscore EFF. You can find me uh, if you want to check out Full Circle Theater Collective. Our Instagram handle is the Full Circle Theater Collective Theater. So, of course, this is where we we had our ADHD like switch with the group theater for the instagram handle is spelled t h e a t r e and then if people want to email uh that's full circle theater spelled t h e a t e r collective at gmail.com oh <laughs> yeah it it got very confusing we were, we did not know That's that's terrible. We didn't know how to spell our company's name when we were creating (laughs) these things for ourselves. So that can spell it both ways, right? Exactly. So so I had created the email, Wes had created the Instagram, and then we were like, oh wait. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Well,
0: thank you, Amanda. And I am so glad that you got out of your comfort zone and spent time with us here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I've had a great time.
0: Wonderful. So have I. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Amanda, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.